this youngest son told his father, I want to share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belonging and moved to distance land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. By the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He, per, um, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man becomes, became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding to the pigs looked good for him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the higher hand servant as food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he thought. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you, both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servant, Quick, bring the, fitness, uh, the, the finest robe of the house and put it on. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fathering. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older, brother, the older son was in the field working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was, he was told, and your father has killed a fattened calf, and we are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single things you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even a young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money and prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fathered calf? His father said to him, Look, dear son, you've, I've, you have always stayed by me. Everything I have is yours. Uh, 
We've had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Thank you, Andre, for sharing that. That'll be the uh, text that we're basing the message off of today. Now, for Father's Day or for our messages, usually uh, all of our messages are meant to, uh, for the whole church. They're meant for uh, us to be able to all gather, listen, hear, and understand what is going on. But today, uh, that's still applicable, but I'm going to speak more directly to the men of the house for today's message. It does still have application for all, but I want to speak to the men of the house. So I want to start uh, with what we're praying for men uh, that, w- that would work out in their lives. This parable that you just heard is about a father and his sons, his two sons, often called the parable of the prodigal son, or sometimes you might hear it as parable of the loving father. And it concludes with two declarations from the father about his sons. He says, and he says them both to the oldest son. He says to the oldest son at first, he says this. He says, all that I have is yours. All that is mine is yours. And then about the younger brother, he says this. It was fitting to celebrate for your younger brother was dead and is alive now, was lost and is now found. And for men, there's something here for us to learn in this. Billy Graham once remarked that a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. Dads, men, you matter. And today I want us to talk about our direction and our influence in our families and in this community. Now, I mentioned an ideal summer a while ago, a summer vacation and being on the beach and everything like that uh, and everything that went along with that. And today, I want to paint a different image for you, yourself paddling, maybe not on this small of a little kayak, but paddling on a kayak on nice, smooth water, a glassy lake like this where you can see the reflection of the sky so perfectly in it. Now, if, you're, if you can't swim, just imagine that you're an Olympic swimmer. There's no problems here for you. But you're there, you're in this kayak, and it's nice and calm, so you're stable. It's safe. The kayak's fine. There's no problem. You're moving across the water, and you're forward-facing like you do in a kayak, and you're paddling back and forth, just as it's designed to do. You are in control of this kayak. You're in control of where it is going With each stroke going through the water, you see where you are, you see where you're headed, and it's wonderful. Forward-facing, you are determining your direction. And this is the way that many of us men were taught to live our lives. Like I mentioned last week, that we live and face life head-on, facing what we're going through, not in hindsight, in 2020 vision, looking back. But one way of seeing this forward-facing way of living is by seeing it as a life that is a self-defined life. 
You're choosing your direction. You are defining your future. You are paddling and directing your kayak in the direction that you want to go. In the parable, the younger brother, for a season of his life, lives this way, defining his own reality, taking his kayak and paddling away from the family. It was a life that was defined exclusively by his own desires and dreams. He does what he wants for a season and has the time of his life. The waters allow him to glide through life with no issue, just like kayaking on this water. Yet to fund this self-defined life, before he ends up losing all his money like we heard in the story, he wounds others, doesn't he? Without regard for his father or his older brother, he says one day, Father, give me the share of the inheritance that's mine. A self-defined moment, breaking away from the definition his father had for life and success for him. What happened next in his life continues to direct his life in the way of his desires. Front-facing, not looking back, he paddled into it. In verse 13, it had the the verse there we saw on the screen. It said, he took a journey away from home into a foreign or a far country. He went from the familiar to the unfamiliar. He went in that specific direction. He wanted to do that. This younger son is now living for self, by self, with self as its purpose, self-gratification, making himself feel good, doing whatever he wants, and with little thought given to the issues that are underneath, the issues of relationship, the issues of his future, things with his father. Think of a self-defined life like this. He thinks that he is moving his life forward, but really he isn't progressing at all. He's not moving and advancing his life in any direction. He's just, he's just expending his life. To the best of his limited belief in this party season of his, he thinks that his posture, his kayak, is unshakable, stable, safe, forward-facing. And this is how many men and fathers, people, live life. And they do so for their entire lives. Yet at best, forward-facing gives the illusion of control. We aren't in as much control as we believe. In a kayak, you can never really control the water, water underneath you or the weather above you. And this younger son is about to discover this to be true in life as well. His newfound friends aren't really friends. And when his resources run out, so will his relationships. This forward-facing position that he's put himself in has led him now into troubled waters. But in this story, there's also an older brother. He's not alone. Unlike his little brother, he never physically leaves home. But his heart wanders from home, doesn't it? Similar to his brother's. And in a sense, he too is navigating life in this forward-facing motion seeing only what is in front of him. Only the storm that he becomes trapped in is one of self-righteousness, isn't it? Thinking he's doing all the right things. And then one day, 
where he has let his heart breaks through the surface of the water, doesn't it? He hears the music, probably knew there was dancing going on. He sees that this party is going on at his dad's house. And when he hears that his younger brother has returned and that that fattened calf has been slaughtered, how his brother is safe and sound, he's not relieved. Think of that. His brothers abandoned them and come back, but he doesn't seem relieved at all about that. What's going on? Instead, he feels mistreated. He feels threatened by this. He's been living his life forward-facing as well. To the eye, his wandering hasn't been evident as his brothers, but again, he's far from his father's heart, far from that home that he has for him. See, the older brother is good, so good, that he gets caught up believing that he's better than his younger brother, more deserving than his younger brother. If the, other, if the younger brother is, is living a face-forward, self-defined life, then the older brother is an example of one living a face-forward, goal-focused life. You can check all the boxes off. You're intently driven on doing everything right, mastering life's challenges, skills, opportunities, and outcomes. You're on it. And yet when he sees his brother return home, his kayak capsizes the moment his goals are threatened. All those boxes he checked that were going to lead to his life being secure seemed overturned. Will his inheritance now again be cut in half? Will he see everything change because his brother has returned? What is this going to mean for him? How come he hasn't been rewarded for being good during this time? I can hear echoes in my past, me saying something similar to God. God, I've done everything right. Where's your favor why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this when I've checked all the boxes and done all the, the Ten Commandments, I've lived them out, and yet here I am facing these things. Where's my special bonus for being good, God? We can often create ideas and philosophies around how things should be. And as men, we'll create an idea of what it's meant to be a man. Those of us who are fathers, what it means to be a father. I can totally understand and live that old adage that says, before I got married, I had six theories of raising children. And now, I have six children, no theories. <laughs> Parenting is hard. Being a father is hard. Being a man in our culture today is confusing and hard to navigate. Listen to how this older brother views himself. He says, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Again, this is how many men will live their lives today focused exclusively on mastering life's challenges, skills, the opportunity and outcomes to make sure their future is secured. In a success-driven world, others become objects of comparison 
and competition for us. We can become so good at earning that our soul loses touch with the rhythm of God's grace. When rough water hits, you may look at that and go, that's not all that rough. But when you're in a kayak and the wind's blowing and you're on the lake and you're trying to get across the lake and that wind is going and you watch yourself continually not being able to get to where you want to go, it's not fun. Especially when you forget to put that little uh, stopper into the kayak and your kayak starts to take on a lot of water. I will not admit or deny having had that experience a couple of summers ago. But when rough waters hit on a kayak, we may think, yeah, yeah, okay, every analogy breaks down. So I know you may be thinking, yeah, but kayaks are men or for going through rapids. I get, I get that. I get that. Every, every metaphor will break down ultimately. So don't get lost in that. But when you're going on a kayak in just the open lake and you're just trying to have fun and you're not in a kayak meant for going through the rough waters, even then you have a specific direction that you're working through and you're lost in the waters. You're going wherever the current will take you. But in this, when you get to the rough waters, it gets tough. The younger son lives that life, a self-focused life. Living a forward-facing life can be good. It can, there's, there's positives to it, but it can give you that false sense that you are fully in control. But life has a way of reminding us, doesn't it, that we don't quite have the control that we think we do. It's an illusion at best. We can see, we can feel out of, our, out of control of our vessel, but there's always an untamed sky above us and an untamed sea beneath us. And we have to navigate that. We're never in total control of it. Especially when you are creating that future from desires and not reality. When you're like that younger son who says, man, I just want to party and have the good life and I want everything that I want now. I'm young. I haven't worked hard for it yet, but I want all that good stuff now. And from a cultural perspective, it can be hard to navigate and work our way through because we become far away from the kingdom mindedness of our father. The older brother, he lives that goal-focused life. Living a a forward-facing life again can be good, yet he becomes oblivious that in all of his goodness, achievements, and success, the one thing that he never masters is his own heart. He also lives with that false sense of control over his future. At that moment, As his younger brother returned home, we see just how far from the father's heart his heart has truly drifted. Now, as fathers, we can think that we're living selflessly, checking all the boxes, doing what we ought to do, which is great. But I'm going to invite you as fathers and as men into more. See, the father in this story lives and loves differently than his sons. The father lives life with non-anxious presence. Doesn't uh, describe him much in the story, so we, we, we may read into who he is, but on the surface, he might appear that he's weak even. 
One of his sons disowns him for money, and the other one does all the right things, but his heart has drifted. But he actually displays a profound strength only gained through living a life from a different posture. See, the father in the story is also going through multiple storms, isn't he? His two sons are distant. He isn't the cause of either of those storms, nor is he defined by those storms. The father, though, is navigating the waters of life differently. He isn't living a self-focused life. He isn't, oh, woe is me. My life is all crashed because my one son has disowned me. Or, oh, woe is me because my other son is just in it for the money. His heart isn't where I want it to be. He's still navigating life from a different posture. He permits his younger son to leave but he never stops looking and hoping for him to return home. He's hurt, but he never gives up hope. The father has hope as an anchor for his soul. In the storm, it holds him firm and secure. So secure that the moment he sees the silhouette of his son in the far distance, he runs towards him. He runs and extends forgiveness and welcomes him back home. And he does more than welcome, doesn't he? He restores his son's identity. You're not going to be a servant. You're going to be my son still. He restores. His, his restoring is so profound, it can be described as though his son never left at all. And again, the father in this parable lives life in a non-anxious presence. Even though much of his life is being lived in the midst of storms, he cannot control as fathers and men, we're going to face storms that challenge us, that invite us to try and control the situation rather than be present during the storm, be anchored to our hope. We must take note of how the Father isn't living this goal-driven life. A goal-driven life values success and achievement over relationship. We don't want that for our sons or our daughters. When the older son feels lost and outside of the party, the father rushes out and entreats him to also return home, just like he rushed out for his younger son. He listens intently to his older son and does his best to affirm his son. And again, while it may look different on the surface, his father loves this son equally. He may not have given him a goat, but he says that all that he has actually belongs to his son. God is a father who blesses, who loves, who is faithful, and is always willing to redeem any of his kids who wander away from his home and his heart. The father in this story shows us as men a deeper and different way to live. A way to live where we can embrace circumstances we can't control by having, again, a different posture. The father lives, if you will, a Christ-centered life, evident by his non-anxious presence. In the story, experience, uh, uh, sorry, all in the story experience storms in life. The father, 
and the two sons. But one navigates the waters differently. One is surrendered to and abiding in the love of God. One is living out his unique purpose and mission. He knows who he is. He knows what success looks like, but he values others above himself. One has their heart focused on worship and discovering God's unique design for his life. Both sons navigate life in that front-facing manner, but not the father. The father has learned to journey, to live by faith, not only by sight. The father has learned to live in a way, understanding that you can't control all the things in your life. The father has learned that the water beneath and the sky above is out of his control. The father has learned redemption, blessing, love, and faithfulness. The father, if you will, has learned to navigate water differently than his sons. One theologian uses the metaphor to explain the profound difference of the father and the sons, the way of life. The sons were paddling through life as, they were, as if they were in a front-facing kayak. And that's what they chose. They wanted to go in their direction. The father, though, has learned to become a seasoned rower. You see, a rower navigates the water from a different posture with their back facing the direction they want to go. To ensure that their boat stays on the course that they want it to go, a rower can't constantly look behind them to see if they're heading in the right direction. A seasoned rower will choose unchanging, fixed points of reference outside of themselves, outside of the fluid situation they find themselves in to navigate the waters. The seasoned rower's success is not only in the stroke of their paddle on the boat, but it's in trusting what is unchangeably true in their lives. This big rock here, that generational tree over there, that island over there, all those things become markers that don't move or don't change as they're rowing. And as fathers and as men in the house, if we have that same posture, if we're back facing the direction we want to go and we use as markers and anchors the things that we can see, God's word, the Father himself and other relationships that are secure within the church, if we anchor those fixed points to say, if I have those in my view, as I'm rowing, I know the direction I'm going to go and it's going to lead me there. Those fixed points won't move. I can see and use them to guide me. Father in the story has learned that when we turn our face towards our heavenly Father, we simultaneously turn our back on the way of the world. As his younger sons return home, he too begins to learn how to live like his dad. A self-focused life can bring you pleasure, but not ultimate purpose. A goal-driven life can help you conquer, but you'll never control. A Christ-centered life fixed by points of reference found in God's word 
such as forgiveness, self-discipline, hope, restoration, grace, truth, forever unchangingly true. These things will give you a life that you can manage the storms, that can navigate rough waters and not get lost or undone. When describing the Father or describing God, the Bible often refers to God in a generational way, especially in the Old Testament. He is the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why does he do that? Why does he mention generation after generation after generation? Because he is the same God, trustworthy and true throughout generations. Fathers, men, all of us, events and circumstances will face different ones. But through it all, God will remain steadfast, unchanging, and present. He's trustworthy to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And if you let him, he will be to you as well. So what do we learn from this, men? How do we move forward? Some questions for you to navigate in your life. Men, how are you navigating your life? Are you a kayaker or a rower? Is your life or parenting only about self? Is it about goals in the future? Is there a, a failure in the past that, that, that affects how you lead? How would your kids, your wife, or others answer that? How would your kids answer the question, what leads your dad? They can be sobering questions. A third one, are you learning to trust that Jesus is enough to live by faith, to have that backward-facing posture, keeping your eyes fixed, your ears listening, and your heart anchored on Christ? Is that your posture for being able to walk through or go through the waters that could be often very rough? Men, for Father's Day, there is both a discovery and a direction that we can embrace. The first one is this, breaking the water discovery. Today, would you discover how to trust Jesus when asking, where do I need to find fixed reference points outside myself, found in God's character, in God's word? Discover those places, those anchoring things for you to lead you and guide you through life. Those places that never change, never move, that you can always know where you are and direct yourself where you want to go because of them. The second one is this, navigating the water. Fix your focus on Jesus. Follow his way to show the way to others. As men, as fathers, we're asked to do that, to show the way to others, to navigate rough waters, to say to our sons and our daughters, row like me, learn how to use fixed anchoring points in your life so that when troubled water comes, what you're gazing at isn't the problem, isn't the rough water, it's points that will be unchanging in your life, things that can anchor you 
when the winds and the waves start to buffet you. Man, the world needs us to make these discoveries and these directive shifts. And we believe that you, that, that, sorry, we believe though that you can be men of God, fathers like our father, husbands like Christ for his bride, the church, friends that are closer than a brother, that sharpen each other like iron. For some today, you might never have experienced the belief, affirmation, or love like the Father displayed in this parable today. 